Welcome to the Midlife Crisis Odyssey podcast, episode 13. The Panathenaic Stadium, Greece. There are a handful of things that make me feel like a kid again. Going to the beach, riding a pushbike, and the Australian Football League Grand Final all transport me back to the happy, carefree days of my childhood. There's one other event that also turns me back into a frothing, excited kid, and that's the Olympics. I love them. Every four years, It's a two-week festival of sport that has me enthralled, even though I couldn't give a crap about most of the sports during the Inter-Olympiad period. When you think about it, Athens really has contributed far more than its share of institutions to our modern way of life. Democracy, Nana Muscuri, and of course the modern Olympic Games all came out of this ancient city. After spending my first days in Athens visiting the Acropolis Museum and the famous mound itself, I was keen to go to the Panathenaic Stadium to soak up a little Olympic history. The stadium is located about two kilometres east of the Acropolis and as the seating is horseshoe shaped, you can look into the arena from the street. After paying my 5 euro admission and picking up my audio tour player, I headed into the stadium. The Panathenaic Stadium looks in pretty good nick for an ancient site, and that's because whilst the site itself is ancient, the stadium is not. Historians reckon the original stadium was built between 329 and 330 years BC with major renovations carried out during the Roman times in the years 139 and 144 AD. The rise of Christianity saw gladiatorial fights and man versus wild beast royal rumbles and presumably also the spectacle of naked oiled male athletes wrestling each other increasingly frowned upon. With the wowsers in charge For our non-Australian listeners, a wowser is a puritanical person who disapproves of others enjoying themselves. The once grand stadium fell into ruin. Guided by archaeological work conducted at the site, the Panathenaic Stadium was rebuilt to its current incarnation for the first modern Olympic Games held in 1896. Enough marble to renovate thousands of Australian kitchens and bathrooms was used to recreate the arena, which can hold about 70,000 sports-loving backsides. Apparently in the original stadium, marble was also used for the finishing line on the track. Presumably, in this period before slow-mo replays, this assisted the judges in determining the winner of a race by noting who slipped over first. Regardless of the luxuriance of the marble, the seating is a little, dare I say, 
Spartan. With the exception of two marble thrones, these were installed for the King and Queen of Greece when they attended the 1896 Games. I have to say, the stadium is bloody impressive. I can only imagine what the atmosphere would have been like when the Olympic Marathon finished here during the 2004 Athens Olympics. On the track corner at the closed end of the stadium stands two Roman-era, two-sided herms. Herms are sacred objects associated with the worship of Hermes, and as Hermes is primarily associated with fertility, Herms statues have renounced sculpted bodies and gone for just the head and a square pillar with genitalia. It appears one of the trackside Herms at the Panathenaic Stadium finds the sight of naked athletes running laps particularly arousing. Near the entry to the stadium, marble, of course, tablets, list the host cities of each of the modern Olympic Games. I wonder how many other Aussies have stood in front of these tablets, reading through the names, reaching the year 2000 and saying out loud, the winner is Sidi, in their best Juan Antonio Samaranch accent. I bet I'm not the first one. Leaving the track, I headed into the cavernous, roughly hewn athlete's tunnel. Following this passageway around a corner and up some stairs, I arrived at a small museum. Already pumped by having trodden in the footsteps of athletes past, I was giggling like a kid when I found the museum was full of Olympic torches. And not only that, the promo posters for each of the games were on display as well. Naming rights for the Olympic Games were given to Olympia, where the first recorded Olympics were held way back in 776 BC. Nowadays, a couple of months before the Games are due to begin, the Olympic flame is lit at the ancient Games site in Olympia, which is about 200 kilometers west of Athens as the javelin flies. Runners then carry the flame to the Panathenaic Stadium, after which it travels to the host nation. It was great to walk around the museum checking out the Olympic torches mounted on the walls. Torch design has changed a bit over the years, from London's crown-like 1948 design, to Helsinki's 1952 flamethrower, Munich's 1972 sawn-off jousting stick, Moscow's 1980 lightsaber, and Sydney's opera house topped boomerang. The framed Olympic posters were also a walk through the history of sport and graphic design. Apparently the colourful poster for the 1912 Stockholm Olympic Games represents the parade of nations. The fact that the nation's flag bearers are Starkers is a nod to the good old days of the Olympics when athletes dropped the toga to compete. Still, the poster looks to me like the Swedish athlete up the front is performing a rhythmic gymnastics ribbon routine and has got said ribbon 
tangled up in his tackle. The London 1908 Olympic poster shows an athlete running what looks like the reverse hurdles, a sport deemed ridiculous shortly after the Games and dropped in favour of synchronised swimming. I must admit, I got a pang of homesickness for Australia when I saw the Melbourne 56 Olympics poster, styled like an old-school fold-out dinner invitation. The 1964 Tokyo Olympics poster is comprised of a large red rising sun, Olympic rings in black, and the words Tokyo 1964 in a plain black font. It must have taken someone minutes to design. Apparently Mexico's 1968 poster was inspired by traditional indigenous motifs. However, the dizzying concentric lines also manages to nicely capture the psychedelic 60s. The poster for the Moscow 1980 games has, unsurprisingly, a distinctly communist feel. And although the Sydney 2000 design looks like a rooster, it still makes me proud as punch. I really enjoyed checking out the torches and posters, and when I headed back down the tunnel and entered the stadium through the competitors' race, I was really living the Olympic dream. The only fitting way to complete my visit to the Panathenaic Stadium was to run a lap of the track. Needless to say, in order to be true to the spirit and custom of the ancient Olympic Games, I wanted to nude up for the run. However, I decided that modern Athens just wasn't ready for it, so I stopped after removing my jacket, socks and shoes. I have to admit, coming into the final corner, I couldn't help but pick up the pace, and when I crossed the finish line, I had my chest pushed out, breaking the tape and taking the gold for Australia. Just like watching the Olympic Games on the telly, my visit to the Panathenaic Stadium took me straight back to being a kid again. Cheering on the athletes and riding the emotional roller coaster alongside the Olympians during the biggest sporting event in the world. If you love the Olympics, make sure to put Athens Panathenaic Stadium on your travel list. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, waste some more of your time at midlifecrisisodyssey.com where you'll find more podcasts and posts about travel and existential crisis. And be sure to hit the subscribe button.